0: So good to, to see you again, to be back. Uh, Gail and I always miss you on our, when we take these summer breaks, And but basically, uh, eight years ago, eight years ago, I guess it was, I was 57, never really taking a sabbatical, and I realized how tired I was and needed a break, and we took an eight-week break, and it was so life-giving and rejuvenating that I've asked the elders if I could have a six-week break every summer, and I, I want to thank you as a congregation for supporting that and being behind that, and and uh, if you were here the last six weeks, uh, all six of those speakers just did a fabulous job and um, just thank God for people like that that could speak. Yep, thank you. But Gail and I feel rejuvenated, refreshed, and uh, ready to go. Um, highlight for us the last six weeks would be uh, an, an, another grandchild. This would be Callie and Paul and their little son, Archer. That is uh, Archer Wells Thomas, and a uh, little guy loves to eat and sleep, and uh, so that's what he's doing these days. Um, what else? Oh, I know. Okay, we, we relaunch our prayer service this week. We, we took July off. We, we, we don't do that much, but uh, just really encourage you, come out for a special Wednesday this week, even if you don't normally come out. You know, school's not on yet, and you can do that. And let's together as a church cry out to God and call out to God. Uh, In three Wednesdays, not this Wednesday, but uh, the 21st, uh, at our Wednesday night prayer service, we're going to have Jim Simbola in town. Now, yeah, wow, uh, there is nobody in the United States that's had more of an impact on prayer, the level of prayer in the United States, really in the world, than in the last several decades, than Jim Simbola. His book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, tells the story of prayer at Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, God used him and that book to to really change the trajectory of prayer at Wood's Edge in my life. And so he's going to be with us. Actually, he's going to be with us at a conference all day that day, but at our Wednesday night prayer service. You know, I don't normally really encourage you to pull out your iPhones and iPads, but you might just make a little note in your smartphone or someplace, the 21st, and just plan on being with us if you're in town. It'll be rich. Whenever Jim Simbla speaks, God shows up. So it'll be good. And I think that's all I wanted to be sure and tell you before. Okay, now this morning we're going to look together at Psalm 119. And you'll be very pleased to know that we're not going to deal with the whole psalm because it is the longest psalm in the Psalter, and it is the longest chapter in all the Bible, and it is longer than many books in the Bible. Um, But we're going to look at one stanza, just eight verses in Psalm 119. Now, the whole psalm is a love song. But what's fascinating is that this love song is not a love song about marriage or about children or about you know how much you love the Astros and the Texans and um, or your homeland and the beauties of the Redwoods it's it is a love song about scripture now isn't it fascinating that the longest love song in the Bible the longest chapter in the Bible is a love song about scripture Um, and it's fascinating because it, it is not only this outburst of delight and praise but but it is a finely crafted literary masterpiece. And some of it is kind of hidden in the Hebrew. And let me just explain a little bit about that. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. Well, in, the, in this psalm, Psalm 119, there are 22 stanzas of eight verses each. And those 22 stanzas correspond to the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph through Tav. And it's not just that each stanza begins with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet, but all eight verses in that stanza begin with the successive letters. So, so our stanza, which is stanza two, uh, takes the second letter, Beit, and every single verse is going to begin with bait. And so I just want to say that the, the, the Bible, you know, it, it's, it's by far the, the, the bestseller every year. It doesn't appear on the New York Times less, but, but it is by far the bestseller. They just don't put it up there. I, I mean, it's had more impact than, than any other book by far. Nothing close. Uh, but, but it is more beautiful than we know. It, it is a, a literary Masterpiece, but it is the Word of God. And we're going to together look at it today, this one stanza. So, please stand. No, no, I'm not ready for you to stand, please. (laughs) Hey, I'm out of practice. So, oh yeah. Okay. Before I begin my break, okay, when I get back, I'm going to preach on Psalm 1. A week ago, I'm praying and time with the Lord. And I'm I'm just reading through. I I go slowly through the Old Testament, slowly through the New Testament. And I was on Psalm 119. I was on this stanza, the second stanza of Psalm 119. And it is so rich. It is so moving to me. I am so touched by it. I I say, I'm going to change from Psalm 1 to Psalm 119, this stanza. And I don't hardly ever make changes like that. But I feel like God put that on my heart. So uh, I really feel deeply about this. Now, just a little anecdote about this psalm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, the well-known German theologian and pastor who was executed by the Nazis, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, um, this brilliant theologian who loved Jesus so much, he was in New York City uh, in the 1930s, late 30s as the Nazis were ramping up things and he could have just stayed over here and all of his friends were saying, you stay here and they went to Britain some, you stay away, but, but he just couldn't do that with the German church going through what it was going. So he goes back to Germany. He he fiercely opposed Hitler. The Nazis arrested him, put him in prison, and only a few days before the Allies liberate the the, the prison camp, they bring Bonhoeffer out and execute him. Now, Bonhoeffer, my little story about him is that when he was in seminary, kind of an unbelieving seminary in Germany at the time, that he was told that this is the most boring psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119. When he was in prison... Uh, as a young man, uh, facing his death, he said, this is the most encouraging, rich psalm in all the Bible. And so it, it is a treasure. And, and now I'm ready for you to stand. So stand. Um, now, we stand in honor of God's Word, but I'm going to read Psalm 119, and I don't want you to listen to it today. I want you to savor it. Okay second stanza how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word with my whole heart i seek you let me not wander from your commandments i have stored up your word in my heart that i might not sin against you blessed are you o lord teach me your statutes all right he begins simple question how can a young man keep his way pure that is how can a young man walk with God and the answer by guarding it according to your word you cannot walk with God apart from a regular intake from this book if you neglect God's word or ignore God's word, it is impossible to avoid sin. As it is said, either sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. If you do not regularly fill your mind with God's mind, with God's word, then you are vulnerable to spiritual disaster. And none of us can think that we're immune from that. 1st Corinthians 10:12 take heed you who stand lest you fall. And what is true for a young man is true for an old man and a young woman and an old woman and a teenager and a child for all of us. How can we keep our way from sin by by living according to God's word. We read it, we study it, we learn it, we memorize it, we meditate upon it, we treasure it. We go to a church that preaches the word of God. We f- saturate our minds with God's word. And why do we do that? Why is it so vital? Well, because of this. Think about all the words on in all the books, and all the magazines, and all the computer screens, on all the computer screens. On all the billboards, on all the buildings, all the words on the planet, all of those words ultimately are man's words. Are they not? But this, these are God's words. And if you hope to walk with God and love God and have a thriving, healthy spiritual life, there is no substitute than regularly filling your mind with God's word. The Bible is as necessary to a healthy, vibrant spiritual life as oxygen is for fire. It's just that important. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Now, last week, uh, it was a week ago Sunday when I was in this passage, Bait, and I'm reading and I come to this verse and it just grabs me. Just God grabs me with it. Hmm. Here's that psalmist talking. Here's that ancient Hebrew psalmist, and he's saying, with my whole heart, Lord, I am coming to you in your word. I'm not coming lukewarmly. I'm not coming half-heartedly. I'm not coming mechanically, uh, ritualistically. I'm not just sort of coming to, you know, to check a box. Lord, I am coming with all my heart. I'm coming to you. I'm seeking you. With my whole heart, because this is your word, because it's alive and it speaks to me, because it is aflame with the very breath of God, and it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and these words alone are the words of God, as Augustine put it, it's a love letter from home, it's a letter from home, with my whole heart, I seek you. And then in 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, that's very similar to verse 9, isn't it? Verse 9, uh, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can he walk with God and avoid sin? By uh, living according to your word. Here, same point, "I've I've stored up your word in my heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. He's returning to that, that if we hope to avoid a life of unbelief, worldliness, compromise, if we hope to avoid that kind of life, then, then, then we must live it according to God's Word. We must store up God's Word in our heart. How do we store up God's Word in our heart? Well, certainly we read it a lot. We, we, we're in a Bible-teaching, preaching church that teaches it from children on through adults. But, but there, is a, there is an assumption here that we also, if we store it up, we memorize some of it. We, we learn it. We, we learn some of it. One of the very best things that you and I can do is to memorize key verses in the Bible. Think about Jesus in Matthew 4 or Luke 3. Satan comes after him uh, for temptation. After 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness, Satan comes after him, and each time, each time, Jesus responds, it is written, and he quotes the Bible. He quotes the Bible verse that relates to that temptation. Now, that passage, those passages are not in there for idle curiosity, but to show you and me how to fight the spiritual battle that rages throughout the universe, the cosmos. This is how we do it. We have memorized some key verses, and when the the problem and the challenge appears, we bring it out. And we wield our sword. You don't go into the battle without your sword. And so, it's vital. And I want to urge you. I'm your pastor. I love you. I care about you. I want to urge you, memorize Scripture. My suggestion is a, a verse a week. That would be a good thing. If you're a parent, I urge you, have your children memorize Scripture. One of the, one of the things I've done um, is I have, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I prayerfully uh, took some time to pray through this, and I, and I selected 52 verses of the Bible that are the best to memorize. And there are various reasons, and I know somebody else might disagree with me, but for various reasons, I thought these were the 52 key verses. And we, we had bookmarks made, and uh, they're, they're on our website, and, and I'd encourage you to, to learn one a week. And uh, do it, if you're married, as a, as a couple. And if you've got kids, do it as a family. And if you've got a small group, do it as your small group, your home church. Uh, but do it. Um, we, we had some uh, physical bookmarks, the first service, but we don't have that many. And I don't know if there should be some left, but there's some left on the information t- table. But they're on the homepage of our website as of today. You just go to the website and you can download it there. So a good option. Charles Wendell said this about Bible memory. He said, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing Scripture. Did y'all hear him? He said, no other single discipline is more useful and rewarding than this. No other single exercise pays greater spiritual dividends. Your prayer life will be strengthened. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your faith will be solidified. And that's what we see in the Bible, the importance of storing up God's Word in our heart verse 12. He says, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Now we use the word bless in two senses. We can say God blesses us, and we can say we bless God. God blesses us with uh, giving us good things. We bless God with our words for giving us good things. So we praise Him. He does us good. He blesses us, and we praise Him. We bless Him. Now here, uh, the psalmist is saying, Lord, we bless you. You're blessed. You are worthy of praise. And then he immediately turns, Lord God, because you are great and good and holy and sovereign and and you are the blessed God. Lord, teach me your word. Because you are so good and so great, Lord, I need to know your word. I need you to teach me. And God's the ultimate teacher of the word. And so he is praying, Lord, teach me your word because you're so good. On to verse 13, he says, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. All the ordinances of my of your of my mouth, all the, um, the uh, all the verses in the Bible. He's saying, with my lips, I declare these Bible scripture verses. So the psalmist is saying, there there is a place to speak God's word alive, not just to read it silently. But you know, there's the spoken word is different than the written word. And there's a place to read it silently, but there is also a place to hear it out loud so that you get more senses involved. You get your ears and your mouth involved, and, and you're hearing it, and you're going out over it. Now, there's a, uh, a nice little story that Ann Voskamp tells about this, it refers to this verse in Psalm 119, 13. Um, Ann Voskamp is a Canadian blogger who lives on a farm, has five or six kids, and is a great writer. She said this. She said, five-year-old Levi returned home from church with a stack of 20 cards with Scripture verses. And we practiced those verses over and over and over again. Had to learn a word perfect. She said, as farks scraped plates, as pajamas got pulled down over heads, as seat belts got buckled, we memorized starting with the first card. Hebrews 4.12. This is the first card. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. While little Levi rode in the buddy seat of the tractor, he hollered over the drone of the tractor, Psalm 92, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. While rolling play Levi sang, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Mom, First Kings what? That's right. We all were memorizing the verses. His verses became mine too, and everyone else's in the family. Tonight, the stack of yellow cards sits on the counter, dog-eared and dirty. And one little boy lies in bed, changed. For Levi threw open the door tonight... And announced to me, I said all 20 verses tonight, Mom, word perfect. And this time, I was the one who dissolved into tears. Little Levi had done it. He had made God's word his life. And then she quotes Psalm Deuteronomy 32, 47. They are not just idle words for you, they are your life. And so she goes on. So we eat and talk and pull out the sheets of verses from the dinner table book basket at basket, and pour over the words in between forkfuls. We recite during slurps of desserts ice cream cones. Tattered sheets are stuffed into pockets to review in between barn feeding chores, doing up dishes, putting little ones down for a nap. We're slowly becoming a family of mutterers, reciters, memorizers. And then she quotes this verse that I started with, Psalm 19 and 13. In a modern translation, she says, I have recited aloud all the laws you have given us. And as you memorize, you are speaking out loud with your lips the words of God. And it's absolutely vital. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. This is not obligation we're talking about today. This is not duty. This is not drudgery. This is delight. The psalmist is saying, I delight in your word. This is my treasure. These are the very words of the sovereign holy God who loves us, and I savor them. I relish them. I feast upon them. They're a treasure to me. A bit later in Psalm 119, we read, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of, of gold and silver pieces. Or later, uh, your, your word is sweet, is sweeter than honey to my tongue. Because these are the very words of God. This is the greatest treasure on the planet. Now, let's be honest at this point, talking about treasure. You and I live in a culture that is obsessed with money and things, are we not? Now, if there is a, you know, most people are not serving and following the God of the Bible. The main God in our society is money. And it is very difficult for you and I, even as Christ followers, bound for eternity to escape uh, the the pressure of money and things, money and things. Money and things aren't wrong, they're a tool, but we don't love them. We don't build our life around them. Now, just about everybody on your street and everybody around you, this is what they're chasing after. And if it's the main thing you're chasing after and you're a Christ follower, something is bad wrong. Now, let me just ask you. You look at your life. Jesus said don't love, love money and, and things. Can't love God and love money. You use money, love God, love people. Let me ask you, if someone looked at your life, what's most important to you, money and things or the Word of God? The psalmist says, I treasure your Word more than all the treasure because these are the very words of God. Three days ago, I'm meeting with the Lord again. Still working my way through Psalm 119. And I'm down at verse uh, 92. A- and I, I come to this verse. It says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And I am pierced to the depths of my soul. And this is why. Because I think back to May of 2011. 2011 when I had my worst crisis ever with mental disease. If you're new here, I've battled some mental disease. And in May of 2011, it got so bad, I wasn't sure I was gonna make it survive. I wasn't sure I was gonna live out the summer. And I'm reading this on Thursday. If your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And I said, that is true for me, that is true for me. That's not exaggeration. (laughs) That is the truth of God. And you too will go through storms. They will be different than mine. You have gone them and you will go through them. And this book is the only foundation to stand upon in the storms of life. And then I read the next verse. And the next verse, 93, says this. It says, I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. And I think to myself, that is so true. God has given me life through this book. For 47 years, every day I'm meeting with God in this book. And He has breathed life into my soul. Now, I may seem like a regular person who can talk and get up here but but you're dealing with a flawed neurotic messed up guy who struggles and god has breathed life to this man and he will breathe life to you through his word that morning okay i'm i'm 10 minutes i spent about an hour a day in the word and um and I'm reading, and I come to those two verses in the first five or ten minutes. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, you know, and normally I'll read a, you a know, fair bit, and I'll go to the New Testament spend for a fair bit. That morning, I quickly read through the rest of the stanza, but I, I, then I went immediately back to 92 and 93, and I couldn't get away from them. I kept thinking, well, pretty soon, you know, I'm going to be ready to move on, but I, I couldn't get away from them. Just for the rest of the hour, I'm, I'm just... I just, over and over, I'm, I'm relishing, and, I, and I'm turning it over in my heart, and I'm, and I'm savoring it, and I'm thanking God for what He's done in breathing my life. I'm just, I, I just can't get away from Him. The, the psalmist says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. That is no exaggeration. 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Now, one of the big emphases of Psalm 119, over and over, you'll you'll see as you go through it, is that you you meditate on Scripture. You meditate on Scripture. Meditate on Scripture means you you don't race through it. You you chew on it. You ponder it. You pray it. You pray worry over it like a dog worries over a bone. You're just just soaking all the marrow out of the bone, and and you're meditating upon it. You know, um, you're in the Gospels, and you read about Jesus in the Sea of Galilee there, and whether or not you've been there, you can imagine, can't you? Just smell the sea. And hear the lap of the waves on the Sea of Galilee. And look around at the green hills around. And, and feel the sun on your back. And, and read it imaginatively. And, and over and over, just, just, just turning your mind. Uh, George Mueller was the renowned British pastor who uh, cared for thousands of orphans. And never asked for a dime. He just, by faith, he tried, he's an incredible man of God. Well, this started with him in the Scriptures. This is how he began his day. He said, the first thing I did, I began to meditate on the Word of God, searching every verse to to get a blessing out of it, not for the sake of public ministry of the Word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food from our own soul. And that's the way I do it, and that's the way I've always done it. I don't uh, spend my time with God because I'm preaching, because I'm a pastor. If, if uh, I lose my job tomorrow, the, the, the next day I will get up and do the same thing. I do it because I want to know Jesus, and I need it. And, and he, he said, um, I do it for my own soul. He said, the result I have found is invariably this, that after a few minutes, my soul has been led to confession, thanksgiving, intercession, supplication, so that though I I did not give myself to prayer at the start, but meditation, it turned almost immediately into prayer. And while I've been for a while making confession, intercession, supplication, and have given thanks, I, I go into the next words and turning it all as I go on for prayer for myself and others. That's meditating on Scripture. Don't don't so much read the Bible, but pray the Bible. Tim Keller said this in his marvelous book on prayer called Prayer. He said, There is no better way to meditate on a verse and draw out all the aspects, implications, and richness of its meaning than to memorize it. So the meditating is going to take us back to the memorizing. They go together all just, you're, you're, you're memorizing, you're meditating. More and more, as I have become a fan of reading the Bible, um, I, I become a fan of reading the Bible slowly. Now, there are plenty of times in my life I've, I've read through the Bible in a year and fairly quickly, and if that is your wiring, then great, go for it. God bless you. But for me, I read the Bible slowly, and in my daily time with the Lord I'll start off with some prayer and worship time is how I do it and listening time and then I will half hour in get to scripture and I'm I'm in the Old Testament and the New Testament normally about a half hour each and I'm praying through them I'm not reading through it I'm praying through it and I'm meditating and if I get to one verse I get to one verse if I get to three chapters I get to three chapters I just mark my spot tomorrow pick it up there so I'm not worried about covering a certain amount of material. I'm just going through slowly because I want to hear God. I want to meet with God. I want to, I want to, I want to meet God in the pages of Scripture. Okay, one more verse. <clears throat> I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will delight in your statutes. Now, that's what we just read in 14, isn't it? i delight in your testimonies. He, he is coming back to it. Lord, I delight in your word. I will not forget it. Now, a bit later in verse 47, I could read a number of verses about this, but I'm going to read two. Verse 47, he says, For I find delight in your commandments, which I love. And then the very next verse, verse 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Now, um, I mean, he's serious about this. I'll lift up my hands, and he delights in God's word because he loves God's word. He loves God's word because he loves God, and it's his word. So I'm I'm loving it. I'm delighting in it. Now, let me just close uh, before the conclusion with this. The psalmist is not David. Almost certainly it's not David. We don't know who it is, but he probably lived about the time of David. What was his Bible? What was his word? Well, he had at least Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, maybe a few other books depending on exactly when this was written. But I mean, just think about it. You read Leviticus lately? (laughs) You read the back half of Exodus lately? Numbers, Deuteronomy? I mean, Genesis is good. It's rich. But man, that was his Bible? And he's singing a love song, going crazy over it? I mean, what in the world if he would have had the book of Psalms or Proverbs or Isaiah 40? Or for heaven's sake, he had the gospel of John about Jesus and Acts and Romans and Ephesians. Man, a guy would go crazy. If he delights in Leviticus, how much more should we delight and the gospel of John. <clears throat> Thomas Merton was a Catholic monk. He said, my favorite quote, quote about the Bible. It's a Catholic monk. He said, by the reading of scripture, I am so renewed that all nature seems renewed. The whole world is charged with the glory of God, and I feel fire and music under my feet. When I read that first time, I said, yes, Thomas Merton gets it. Church, you're going to die. I don't want you to live and die and not experience fire and music under your feet. You have got to get along with God in this word. It may not happen every day, but it will happen as you get in the word every day. And you see, this book is my life. It's my life. Because God speaks to me about Jesus here. Okay, two two takeaways. One, church. We've got to be memorized in this book. Either get the 52 verses, go to the website, get those, get them out. Dads, take lead in this. You do it. Don't wait for mom. You do it. Take lead in your marriage. If you don't like my plan, great. Google Bible memory plan and get a better one. There's plenty of them there. Second thing, every day, get alone with an open Bible and meet with God. Meet with God. Um, If you're not doing this, uh, let me be very specific and practical. Do it this way. Get up a half hour earlier tomorrow, which means you need to go to bed a half hour earlier tonight. (laughs) Decide on a place. Okay, I'm going to go to that chair. I'm gonna, if you're a coffee drinker, I'm going to get my coffee. I'm going to do this. I, I walk the entire two hours because that's the way I like it. You find your place, and you open this book. Start with Genesis 1 and Matthew 1, and maybe 10 minutes each, maybe five or 10 minutes before you're worshiping singing, five or 10 minutes after you're praying for your family, but about 10 minutes each in Matthew, Genesis 1 and Matthew 1, you're just praying through it, asking God to speak to you. Drawing close, letting Him love you. If you get a paragraph, you get a verse, get a chapter, just mark it, go back the next day. Start tomorrow. Start tomorrow. All right. <clears throat> One quote in closing. It's John Wesley. Some of you grew up Methodist. Uh, whether or not you did, John Wesley was a great Christian leader in the 1700s. Now, he was t- talking to his people about doing this, meeting with God daily in the Bible and the prayer, and he called them private exercises is what he called it. He said, private exercises, and this is what he said about it. He said, oh, begin. Fix some part of every day for private exercises. Whether you like it or not, read and pray daily. It is for your life. There is no other way else you will be a trifler all your days. Do do you know what he meant by trifler? You probably never used that word in your life, and me neither, apart from this quote. But, um, okay, I want you to either shake your head yes or shake your head no. Do you know what he meant with trifler? I either want this or that. Okay, all right, this is what he meant. Um, A trifle means uh, just a small thing. A small thing. So he is saying, if you don't do this, you're going to be a trifler all your days, and he meant with God. So he says, um, fix some part of every day. Predecide that place, that time. I'm, I'm going to be there, whether you like it or not. Do it. It is for your life. There is no other way. Or else, if you do not do this, you are going to be a trifler all your days. You may talk a good game about God, but you're just messing around. You're just an amateur. You're just you're not serious about it. You don't dive in the water. You stick your little toe in the water. He says, if you don't do this, you are just messing around because this is your life. Stand with me, please. Lord, thank you for this book which includes the very words of God, that is life for our soul. Oh, God, for the Woods Edge congregation, Lord, may we love it and treasure it and obey it. Friend, if you're in the room and you've never trusted Christ, he is the whole point of this book. He has died on a cross for you. Trust Him now as your Savior. Embrace Him now as your Savior. Jesus, save me. He'll do it. He'll do it. Lord, we bless you. Amen.